This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Polk Wagner joins us, and we're talking about the uh, Google copyright victory uh, that was uh, just handed down, or actually not handed down by the Supreme Court, because for a decade, Google has been locked in a battle with the, the Authors Guild over creating a digital library with millions of books in it. The authors said that this move was a brazen violation of copyright law. The cases we mentioned went uh, all the way up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court justices decided they would not hear the case, meaning that the lower court ruling, which favored Google, would stand. Polk Wagner, in studio, your reaction to what has happened? So obviously a huge win for Google, um, uh, particularly for their business model, a huge blow, not necessarily to the authors, um, but I think it's it's probably best understood as a blow to anyone who wants to be a rival of Google yeah. uh, because uh, the the ruling that was let stand by this decision at the Supreme Court uh, not to take the case um, is a ruling that essentially upholds Google's ability to continue to digitize the world's uh, in-print books and out-of-print books, the world's sort of hard books uh, into a digital medium. Um, and, of course, Google's going to use that uh, for their own benefit. A lot of that benefit, of course, uh, ultimately benefits society at large sure. um, by yeah. spreading knowledge and information. But, um, you know, Google's business model is to have as much information available at your fingertips as possible because that makes all of Google's services more and more valuable. So what was the the reasoning behind the Authors Guild wanting to not have this go forward? Uh, was it financial? Obviously, it's part of this. But, but what were the main reasons? Well, some of it is financial, um, where they uh, believed that they could potentially have a licensed market for searching for books, mm-hmm. uh, that they could go to perhaps Yahoo or Bing or, or another type of search engine and have them create the digital repository um, uh, in exchange for money to right. authors that would be distributed to authors. Um, so that's one thing. The other is, you know, they may take a look at... Um, uh, you know, what happened to the music industry with respect to iTunes, uh, what happened to uh, the movie and TV industry with respect to Netflix, and these early movers who get a large market position then are very difficult to dislodge, right? right? So it's sort of, if you don't have the opportunity to make a deal or to figure out what the parameters of the deal are now, it's sort of done. There's right. nothing you can do. So I think there was a, a sense of that. And and third, I think they, they had a, a principle that they were trying to uphold that uh, by and large, you're not allowed um, to copy somebody's book without their permission, um, and and doing that even in a manner in which uh, everybody admits more or less helps society, yeah. nonetheless needs permission in order to do it. Um, Google, of course, has has a different view, and their view is you are certainly allowed to tell Google expressly that you don't want your book included in the archive, but unless you tell them expressly, they're going to include it right. by default. Um, and, and how many how many uh, of the authors of those books are actually going to do that? Probably very a few. very small number. Very, very few. Yeah. Some will, of course, um, um, but 
Uh, very few will uh, ultimately not want to be in, in the repository. And frankly, you know, a large majority of the books, of course, that Google is scanning, um, the authors are either not findable, uh, they've perhaps died and their yeah. estate is unreachable. Uh, the books are out of print. Nobody cares. And so, you know, Google's view is if they had to go and get permission, uh, uh, you know, express permission for every scan that they did, it just wouldn't happen. They just sure. not. It's not possible. So that the better uh, policy they believed was to go ahead and scan. Somebody really wants their book out of the archive, they can take it out of the archive. Um, so those are, you know, that's the, the the basic parameters. I think the authors and and indeed content creators everywhere will view this this holding, the Second Circuit holding that was upheld. Um, as um, an expansion of the fair use doctrine. Um, right. And the fair use doctrine is a highly controversial doctrine on both sides, both for creators and for users of content, um, in part because it's a very case-by-case -case ad hoc analysis, and yep. it's very difficult to predict how cases turn out. This is, at least in my view, not a huge expansion of the fair use doctrine. I don't think that you know, post uh, this case you're going to see a lot more fair uses, but yep. it is definitely not a cutback. Explain the fair use doctrine a little bit for, for people that don't know what it sure. is. So in general, copyright uh, law prevents somebody from making a copy of your work, and that means making a literally photocopy or even changing it into a different medium like a digital medium right. or something like that. So that's copyright infringement if you make a, a, a copy. Um, what the fair use doctrine is is a part of the copyright law that says under certain circumstances – um, infringements are, are, are not really infringements. They're exceptions. And the exceptions are according to, are supposed to be analyzed under a four-factor test, including the nature and character of the use, the type of work that you're doing, how mm -hmm. much of the work you're using, whether you're affecting the market. Those are sort of the, the, uh, the tools that courts use to analyze fair use. The controversy over fair use is often because it is an exception to the general rule mm -hmm. uh, that you're not allowed to copy someone else's work. Um, because of the multi-factor test and the fact that you have to ask a court to make this decision, it's almost impossible to predict uh, how these cases are going to turn out in advance. Right. So it means that it's sort of difficult on both sides, right? So if you're a creator with a, with a work and you don't want it copied, you don't know how much and whether people are going to be able to take your copy and make a copy anyway because it's fair use. Right. If you're someone who wants to make fair use uh, because you think that, that you have a particularly good use, for example, if you're teaching or something like that, um, you don't know for sure whether you can do that because the parameters of fair use aren't, aren't defined. It's, sure. it's a case-by-case -case basis. So because of that, it creates a lot of conflict in the, in between creators and users um, surrounding it. So we've seen assertions of fair use um, you know, with regards to people, you know, downloading digital copies of music, sure, right? yeah, so just yeah. ripping your CD, yeah, and and that seems clearly not to be fair use, sure. as, as the uh, music industry has pointed out. On the other hand, if uh, for a teaching purpose, say for example, I wanted to explain copyright law and needed to use a piece of music in class, um, then I probably could take it off of a CD and, and, and play it in class for my students. Right. So the difference between those two cases, I think, is pretty clear in terms of which one would be fair use. But, you know, there are so many in the middle gray areas yeah. that are much more difficult to understand. Is, is it even though, even more so just a, a concern in general by the Authors Guild that the majority of usage of these books in a digital library by Google would fall under the fair use uh, 
uh, fair use rule and not be in basically a monetized situation? Well, I think that the way that it's currently set up and the way that the decision of the Second Circuit uh, was based is that, that Google is not currently monetizing this in any way, right. other than in the general sense that it makes sort of going to Google.com a more fruitful and sure. valuable experience. They're yeah. apparently not showing, they've agreed not to show ads next to um, the, the books. What it does allow is is searching. So if you type in keywords or phrases yep. into Google and you ask to look in books, it can, yep. will search the entire book. It will not show you, however, the whole book when you when just you just show you it. the piece of it. Shows a very small snippet yep. uh, of a you know several words, sometimes several sentences, depending on the context, on each side of that search term. So you get a sense of the context mm -hmm. and tell you sort of what page it's on and and things like that. Right. And you can see the cover page and the title page. And there are some parts of the book that are available, but not much of the book. And the idea is from Google's perspective, that they're not actually offering a substitute for actually going out and buying the book. Right, right. Because all you can do is really search and find that information. Now, some books that Google has permissions for, express permissions for, you can then download a digital copy. Sure. But many books where they don't have that permission, they're not doing that. So the real question is, is that, is what Google's doing, which is in order to have snippets, in order to have full searching, they, of course, need to copy the, the entire book. book. Yeah. And it's although they're not displaying that book to the public, it lives, and it lives on Google servers. Right. And so that is, as a technical matter, a copy, even though it's not available to the public. It's out there. It's a, it's a copy. And so the, the authors, I think, are concerned about now that digital copy exists. It exists out of the control of the authors, mm -hmm. even though currently Google's using it in a fairly circumscribed way. They don't really know. Um, what's going to happen. I mean, they, they made arguments in their brief that, for example, hackers could get into the archive and download the whole, you know, the, yeah, the entire library. Because that's what of, hackers are looking right, for, to download exactly. books. The out-of-print books, right? Exactly, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, really valuable. I mean, they are valuable in the sense that they offer yes. an enormous wealth of information. Yes. I mean, they are, the way that Google did this is they essentially went to some of the top uh, university libraries in the world and, and made an arrangement with them that they would, uh, you know, bring in entire teams and, and equipment and yeah. uh, and start uh, scanning books as fast as they could. And they've been doing this for more than a decade. So it's really a unbelievably uh, large task that I'm sure cost Google millions and millions and millions of dollars. Um, and as is very typical of Google, they... They scan first and ask questions later. Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the decision by the Supreme Court to not take a look at this case, what what was really the base behind it? What was their thinking in saying, no, the lower court ruling should stay? Well, it's always difficult, and I think it's, it's not wise to read too much into a cert denial, right? This yeah. is what this is. When you... Um, when you apply uh, for Supreme Court um, decision, you have to file what's called a petition for certiorari or, or cert. Um, the Supreme Court gets thousands and thousands of applications for certiorari each year, and they take around 65 to 80 yep. uh, cases a year. So your chances, I've read elsewhere, that your chances of being elected a U.S. senator is actually greater <laughs> than getting your case accepted by the Supreme Court. So it's it's difficult in that environment to read a whole lot into this. Yeah. This was, however, a pretty high-profile copyright case, sure. obviously, given the, the parties involved and the fact that it was um, 
you know, a potential expansion of the fair use doctrine. And, you know, the Supreme Court has been very interested in intellectual property law over the last several years, yeah. in part because they see it as a critically important part of the economy. And so they, they want to be more involved. Um, I think that basically what, what happens is is that the, the justices decided that um, there, there either wasn't enough troubling aspects of the case below. Um, they could have decided that the facts of the case weren't particularly good for making a statement about fair use, that mm -hmm. it was maybe similar to other cases that had already been decided, uh, or at least similar enough that there wasn't really room to, to make any new law in this yeah. area. Um, it could be that they were, uh, uh, you know, concerned and hesitant to go forward with any cases that might be close calls given their current state, you know, they're down a, down a justice, which sure. means that, yeah. that if yep. it's a close case, then it's a waste of time because sure. the, the case is going to be affirmed anyway. Um, so I think you would see them in that environment be much less interested in taking cases that might might be difficult for them to decide. Google obviously is very happy with, with what has happened and transpired. And as you said, uh, they kind of take the approach of scan now and, and ask questions later. In terms of, of the activation of, of a website with all this digital content, how quickly are we, are we talking about now? Oh, it's already Oh, it's available. up and running. Yeah. Okay. You all can right. already go and, and get, um, get this information. Which basically means they would have had to shut it down if yeah. if the Supreme Court had decided to 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 take on this case well, and it, decided to 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 overturn the lower court ruling. Right, take it and overturn and not say something like retry the case or something like that. Right, yeah. so you know it would have survived for some period of time, but um, but no, Google gets to continue, and in fact, I would expect that. After this, Google gets even more aggressive. You know, the, the basic business model of Google is to get as much information online as possible. Sure. And obviously digitizing all the libraries in the world is a, is a major piece of, of that long-term strategy. It is interesting when you, th when you talk about the fair use doctrine, and, and we're talking with Polk Wagner, a Penn Law professor who focuses on intellectual property. And if you'd like to jump in and ask a question or, or give a comment, you're more than welcome to at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. But it is interesting that you know, we're talking about bringing forth information, which in many cases, like yourself and, and other professors and other high schools and, you know, around the globe, this is information that can better society in sure. general. It, it's There isn't a monetary element to it for the most part. Exactly. Yet, no, I'm an, I'm an author. I have a book, and yeah. I love the fact that my book is probably in this in this archive because if people, you know, search for terms that are relevant to Do you my know book, for certain that it's in the archive? I actually haven't looked. Okay. But, well, yeah. you can you can go look. Exactly. But it is but it is it, it is an important step and and sure. you know for a company like Google or or you know all of the big name internet companies, Google, Amazon, e, you know, you name it in the variety of areas that they focus on, it's so focused on they're only out realistically to make a dollar, you know, to to improve their their bottom line financial situation. Here's a case where Google's not doing that, and they still were being attacked for a decade sure. on this. Sure. Although, you know, one should be very clear-eyed that Google is not doing this out of the goodness sure. of its own right. heart. There right? is so a level. There is a, a clearly a strategic yeah. benefit to Google, in particular vis-a-vis -vis competitors, right? So now you sort of think about this. Because Google took this risk and spent the millions of dollars and has been spending the millions of dollars in terms of the scanning costs and then all of this litigation yeah. and the uncertainty surrounding that. Yep. I mean, look where they sit now. No one's ever 
going to be able to do this to compete with them yeah. with regards to a, a they're going to own this it's forever. this is this is you know effectively and this is one of the concerns of course the authors guild had um effectively a monopoly on yeah. this particular um you know cache of information that now is available and yes it's available free and it's available yeah. without monetization at this point and and all of those good things on the other hand there's only one company now yeah. that controls how this is going to be used um, and and controls whether authors get paid for it and things like that, and that is that is Google. From that perspective, though, and, and when you look at it from that way, you could you definitely can see where the, it is a monopoly. It in, is in, in this case, in this particular. I mean, again, the economic you know definition of monopoly would suggest there are no substitutes, and probably the you know regular books are a substitute for the digital books and so forth. But in terms of that searching, the ability to search an entire um, you know library of content for yeah. particular searching terms, particular terms or, or phrases, yeah. um, that's that's Google. I, I guess in some respects, though, it, when you're talking about a, it being a monopoly, but it's a monopoly of, of public information. Sure. How, you know, is there a distinction there where, okay, Google has really, you know, they have spent the money, they've made the investment, and, and they will do their library. They've got it up and running. Mm -hmm. Another company could do it if they, if they wanted to. Sure. Following this case, of course, now it's now you're pretty sure you're going to be able to do it. So right. so go ahead and do it. Now, whether or not they can put all the arrangements together with all these libraries and and hire the staff and buy right. the equipment and go out and do this. I mean, this is you know they're they're still doing this. This is a multi-year, long-term process that yeah. not a lot of companies in the world would be willing to to do. But sure, anyone can do it. Um, whether they do is a whole different story. Do you think there's a, there? The, I mean, would there be an arrangement between these these massive libraries and Google, saying that you know you are providing this information to us and you will be providing to us alone? Or so I don't know what the terms of the deals between Google and the libraries are, except yeah. that one of the things the Author Guild was complaining about is that Google agreed that it would. After it scanned, say for example, and I don't, I don't think Pen was part of the the program, but let's say they scanned the entire Pen library, they would allow the Pen library to have the entire books available okay. from inside the library. Okay. So you could go to kiosks in the Pen library, for example, and read the on entire computers books on instead computers. of using the microfiche exactly, that it used to be. Right? That, so back they, in the that day, was yeah. sort of the benefit that these libraries were going to get from Google. Is that all right. of a sudden, you know, a lot of their books, perhaps ones that you know they had in storage somewhere. Uh, we're going to be digitized and much more available than they were before. I would be surprised personally if an academic library would sign an exclusive deal with with Google, um, but it's possible. Um, it's possible they would. Uh, we're talking with Polk Wagner uh, from uh, Penn Law about uh, Google's copyright victory. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. I mean, we're talking about millions of, of books. Millions and millions and millions. And books uh, that are way out of print, forgotten long yeah, ago, yeah. have been in a in a warehouse somewhere. So Google's uh, on not the being selective the the, on, on oh, this no. in any way, shape, or form. No, I think they you know, originally they did start with sort of, you know, the classics and things like that, but yeah. they are my understanding is this is every book they can put their hands <laughs> on, they're gonna scan. And they just they scan them and scan them and scan them. And it, and it's really just because they want to have as much information out there as possible. Yeah, sure. Google's Google's you know general view, which I think is probably correct, is that the more valuable the internet is, 
the more valuable electronic archives are, yeah. the better Google's going to do as a company um, because they are the ones who are uh, sort of the gatekeeper or one of the major gatekeepers to uh, digital information. And, and if to the extent that people start using online resources instead of offline resources, yeah. it's only only to the benefit of Google. From your perspective, uh, is the, are there negatives to, to this move going forward? So my biggest concern isn't so much with whether this changes copyright law at all. I think it's it's not a big shift in the law of copyright. Um, I think it's pretty clear in my view that what Google was doing was ultimately um, good for the public on balance and that probably the, the case ended up as it should. I do think we should worry about the power of Google more generally yeah. uh, over our digital lives and that this is another piece of um, Google's ability to um, you know, get a, a lot of uh, ability to control what what people see, what they search, what they do, yeah. uh, and and put them even further ahead of any competitor. I mean, you know, Google does have competitors. Microsoft has worked very hard with Bing. Yahoo's still out there. There are competitors, but I think that this is this is a uh, you know a big leap forward for Google. And you know, if you think about that, that I think is what what should concern you most is that is Google getting so powerful in mm-hmm. the in the area of internet search um, that that we have uh, sort of lost control we've lost competitiveness um, and are ultimately going to you know lead us down the path of of all of the things that lack of competition brings you right less yeah. innovation more costs more um, intrusiveness all of these things and, and that of course what you just said will have a bottom line effect on Google as a company over the years because having that greater level of search than they already have will end up making them a more profitable company in general. Oh, yes. The greater level of search they really want, uh, they want to know what... More eyes. I, yep. What, well, and they want to know what you and I are searching for, right? Yeah. So if, if when I sit in my office at the law school, if I search for certain phrases in the Google library, they know that and they're sure. profiling me and tracking me, which only makes it more valuable to them. Um, to know what people want to see and where how they want to see it and what yeah. I do after I search for that snippet, um, whether I go immediately and buy it or or not. I mean, this is these are all um, incredibly valuable pieces of information about consumers, about consumer habits, about public preferences. Um, that Google is, you know, every day amassing more and more and more. Of. Ha- having the full books, as you said, that the libraries would have. They obviously benefit from being able to have this content in a digitized form going forward. But beyond that, what else do they gain from that? Do you you think? mean the libraries themselves? The libraries themselves, yeah. Well, I think that, that from a library's perspective, more digital books is a good thing, right? Space-wise. Sure, right? Yeah. I mean, I certainly know at the, at the law school that, that as technology changes, fewer and fewer you know, hard copies of books are being used. People are increasingly use, using online and digital assets. Um, and uh, the demand has skyrocketed for different types of space. Uh, people use libraries very differently. So if you're a modern librarian, I think that you, you probably view <laughs> this uh, as a good thing because you can convert more of your archives. And, and in many ways, 
libraries have been going this way for decades. Sure, right? It's yeah. very common now to have a warehouse in, say, North Philadelphia that, that you know, inexpensively will host the books that don't get circulated very much, right? And so yeah. if you somebody tries to check out a book that's in the, in the off-site storage, you send a, a messenger up there to bring it back or something like that. Um, and this just, you know, allows them to do that in a much, much more efficient way to move books out of the, the very valuable physical spaces on campus and move them um, into the cloud. We're not going to lose the Dewey Decimal System, are we? <laughs> yeah, well, this is, you know, that that's an interesting comment because that is effectively what Google's going to be able to do. Exactly. Right? Why right, would you yeah. use the Dewey Decimal System when you can just search exactly what yeah, you want? Yeah, it's, it's going to make, it's going to really change libraries. Sure. Absolutely. Well, I can imagine, you know, the that the kids that are growing up now are going to learn an entirely new way of, of trying to find the books they want. <laughs> There's probably a lot of people out there that are listening to us in their 20s are like, do we does what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly right. Great to see you again. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.